Amen. And, and you know what I think is probably the most powerful word? Grace, right? And while we were singing, I'm back there. I don't know about you, but like I sinned this past week, like more than once, you know, and I'm back there singing and I'm thinking about God's grace and that my sins are forgiven. Like, are you kidding me? You know, every week I stumble and I fall and I mess up, but God's grace is enough. Amen? Are you kidding me? All right, let's do this. This morning, October the 7th, 2018, uh, the final, the fourth quarter of the year 2018, and fourth quarters are important, right? Maybe this year wasn't everything you thought it was, right? Yeah, maybe the scoreboard isn't looking so good in your favor. I'm not going to say it. Uh, sometimes it's not in, in football and in life, but the fourth quarter can make all the difference in the world. And, and this morning, uh, we're going to finish up our, our series of Words Have Power. Repeat after me. My words have power. My words have power. Amen. You know, it, it, this has been a, a, a really, a really powerful series. I mean, I've had so many people come up to me and just talk about the difference that these truths about the power of their words is beginning to have in their lives. I understand, living out these truths that we've been talking about the last few weeks really is a big deal. It's a huge deal. In fact, the reason that some of us have not been changed and have not been transformed the way that God intends is because we are not, we are not living out these, these words. Because our words, yours and mine, literally have the power of life and death. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And listen, some of the fruit our words have caused us to eat is not all that appealing. In fact, it's more than not appealing. It is kind of rotten and nasty. It is death, not life. But listen, it's what we created, right, with the words that we have spoken. It's what we put into our lives with the power of our tongue. Oh, they put that up real quick, didn't they? Okay. Uh, that's a picture of fruit. Anybody want to eat that fruit? Raise your hand. All right. I, I took a trip up north to go see a Patriots game, and, and I was in my hotel room coming back in Milford, Connecticut, a couple days after, the day after the game, and my backpack wasn't smelling really good. I go like, why does my backpack not smell good? They're like, what's going on? You know, I don't get it. I, oh, that's right. I put a banana in my backpack when we started out, right? So that, that, that's, a, that's a banana. And, and like every good preacher, you're going to take a picture of something like that and, and, and use it as illustration, right? Of some of the words that we speak and some of the fruit that it causes us to eat is just plain nasty. Now during the series, we can remove that. Uh, during the series, we, uh, we've been encouraged to take some challenges and to not merely be convicted as we're sitting on padded chairs, to not merely be those who hear the word and so deceive ourselves and hear the challenges. And, and, and these challenges are not very difficult. The difficult thing is to actually do them. Challenge number one was to preach God's word to ourselves, to preach his truth over our lives every day, right? And, and we, 
We preach to ourselves all the time. This is just choosing the sermon that we preach to ourselves. I, I gave you sheets that have examples of this. And listen, whenever you read God's word, you can, you can create your own sermon. Like I, I created one this morning from Hebrews 13. The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere man do to me? That's a good thing to read in the morning, right? The Lord is my helper. What do I have, what do I have to fear? What can mere man do to me? And the other word I was preaching over my life from Scripture this morning, this world is not my permanent home. That's good news. I'm looking forward to a home yet to come. This world and all its mess and all its nastiness is not my permanent home. I'm looking forward to a home yet to come. So preach God's Word to yourself every day. Uh, Number two was to do a word inventory at the end of each day, right? Where you ask yourself, how did I use my words to encourage people today, to build people up, to speak life into them? Did I I speak death to anybody today? Did I discourage people? Did I tear people down with my words? The third challenge was to get serious about what we allow into our hearts and minds. Jesus said, for our mouth speaks what our heart is full of. Listen, the reason it comes out of you is because it's, it's in you. And so ask yourself, hey, what am I allowing into my heart every day? Uh, last week, we, we, we were challenged to determine to leave a mark of life on people by saying no to gossip and slander and complaining and criticism and, and to say yes to uh, uh, praying specific for people, pointing people upwardly to God, and praying to say the right word at the right time to the right person. Question, are you doing or at least attempting to do these challenges? Yes or no? And if your answer is no, why not? Why not? I mean, is it because you got this tongue thing figured out? I mean, like, like you never misuse your words? I mean, your words are so perfect that you don't need to do anything different about that, right? You know, seriously, why? If you haven't, why not? And I just, see, because these, these, these things are not just to end, right? We can't say, okay, the series is over. I don't need to preach God's truth over my life. I, I, I no longer need to do word inventory. I can allow anything in my heart that I want. I don't care what mark I leave on somebody by the words that I speak. No, these challenges need to go on because this is serious stuff. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this time to be in your word. Thank you for your grace, for all our sins. Thank you for your grace to cover the sins that we committed, even this very week, with our tongue, with our words. Lord, some some of us may have been harsh with our family members, God. We may have been rude and disrespectful to the uh, the person behind the counter, because things were not moving as fast as we would like them to have moved. So God, we thank you for your grace that covers our sins, but God, we thank you for your grace that can help us to become new people. And so God, help us to lean into your word today. Um, help me to honor you. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, now, I was doing some research this week on the power of words, and, and I came across an article by a, a, a neuroscientist. Now, I'm not in the habit of reading articles by neuroscientists, but this one caught my attention. It was written by a doctor named Matthew Lieberman. And he was talking about our tendency to use the language of physical pain to talk about the relational pain or social pain that we sometimes experience. So, for example, 
we might say, she broke my heart, right? I mean, uh, to break something is a, is a physical thing, or, or he hurt my feelings, or what they said to me was like getting a punch in the, in the gut. And, and so we have these expressions that are associated with physical pain to capture this relational pain that we all experience. And so this doctor, Matthew Lieberman out of UCLA, decided to study the difference in the brain when we experience physical pain versus when we experience relational pain. And what he found out is that to your brain, a broken heart looks a lot like a broken leg, quoting Dr. Lieberman. Looking at the brain scan side by side without knowing which was an analysis of physical pain and which was an analysis of social pain, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. He says, when human beings experience threats or damage to their social bonds, the brain responds the very same way it responds to physical pain. Now, some of you would not argue with that. I mean, you would take whatever physical pain you've experienced in life, and you would take that any day over some of the emotional pain that has been dealt to you by some of the words that have been spoken towards you. And so, brothers and sisters, our words have that kind of power. They have that kind of impact. Now we, attend, now, we tend to acknowledge that when it comes to words that are spoken to us. I mean, we, we often see the impact that another person's words have on us, but we're slower to see the impact that our words have on other people. We don't always acknowledge it. We tend to dismiss the weight of it. And so we'll explode, and then we'll say, well, hey, I didn't really mean that. I didn't really mean that. Or I'm just under a lot of stress right now. Or we'll dismiss it by saying something like, I just needed to vent. But listen, in a pretty significant way to your brain, that would be like pulling out a knife and attacking somebody and stabbing them and saying, hey, I didn't really mean that. Oh, okay, well, you didn't really mean that. I'm bleeding out right here, but since you didn't mean that and you really needed to vent, that's okay. Now, now, I don't know about you, but even as we've talked about the significance of our mouth in this series, I've experienced the frustration just how hard it is to control my tongue. Uh, James talked about it. James 3, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. I've seen Shamu, that's pretty big, bigger than my tongue. (laughs) But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And I don't know, maybe you've experienced the same frustration in the course of the last few weeks, that you're you're trying to do some things differently, you're trying to speak some words of life into people, but it feels like you just can't seem to get any traction, you just can't seem to really tame the tongue. And I will confess to you that I'm right there with you, seriously. I mean, I cannot tell you how frustrating it is to stand up here on Sunday and preach about these things and then find myself struggling with them during the week. You see, I found myself during the last month more than once using a harsh tone with my kids and not being intentional with the words that I speak to them. And I found myself being harsh or critical or disrespectful towards my wife. I mean, I I could go through a a whole list, but I'm just telling you that if someone came up here with a recording of all the words I spoke in the past month, it would be pretty 
embarrassing. But you know what I know? That's true for you too. Like, like you don't want me doing that to you. Like, like you get real nervous if I said, hey, we got this tape. Like your, your house and your car has been bugged. And we've been listening. And we're going to be playing the word. You, you wouldn't like that. So it's a struggle. It's real, right? And, and therefore, we find ourselves living in this, this tension of wanting to do well in this area, but not being able to keep our tongue tame. And here's one of the things that's really starting to motivate me is the truth that when I speak this way towards other people, I'm not just sinning against them, I'm sinning against God. Now, now I knew this before the series, but this connection is getting clear to me that when I speak words of death towards my wife or towards my children or towards anyone else, that I don't just need to make things right with them, I need to make things right with God. That this is offensive to God. That I'm not just hurting them with my words, I'm hurting, insulting, grieving, and offending God. In fact, that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He's in this middle of this, this discussion about words and, and how we need to get rid of such things as, as bitterness and slander and anger and rage and malice. And in the middle of that, he says this in verse 4, Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Understand, the words that you speak have that kind of impact. That the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you, and he's listening to these conversations. He's hearing the words that you're speaking to other people and about other people, and when you speak words of slander and anger and hatred and bitterness, it grieves him. Yes, Maple Grove, your God and Savior is listening in on your conversations. Sometimes it grieves him. So we need to realize just how significant these words are. Not, 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 not just to the people we speak them to, but to God who hears what we say. Get it? Good. And so as you wrap up the series, I want to look at one of the ways we're instructed to use our tongue that that we kind of struggle with. Now, now, if I ask you, what are your main areas of struggle with your tongue? Most of us will talk about sins of commission, right? Meaning things we do, things we commit, words we say that we shouldn't, things we speak that we should not have spoken. But understand, when it comes to our mouth, there are also sins of omission, right? There are words that we should say that we're not saying. There are th things that we should speak that we haven't spoken, like we talked about last week, right? Words of specific praise, encouraging other people. Uh, words that point people upwardly to God. However, there's another example of words we should be speaking and talking about. In Ephesians 4, Paul is challenging the church in Ephesus to deepen and mature in their faith. And, and in verse 14, he, he calls on them not to, and not, not to be blown and, and tossed around by the culture, by the world that they live in, but to but to have a firm, strong, secure foundation. So he's talking about them, how to grow and how to mature in their faith. And then he says, instead of being blown and tossed around, instead we speak the truth in love to one another, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body of the church. So here's what Paul says. Hey, you want to grow? You want to be more like Jesus? But well, one of the ways you do that is to speak the truth in love. 
Now, this is where we have someone in our life who is invited to share some things with us that we don't necessarily want to hear, some hard truth. Now, they share it in the spirit of love because they care, because they want to see some things made right, because there's some things that we've missed because they want us to grow mature in Christ. So they shine some light, they give some attention to some areas that we need to look at. Because the Bible teaches us that pride and our sin can blind us to seeing the truth about ourselves. And so we need each other at times to come alongside and to speak some hard truth, but to do it in a spirit of love so that we can become more like Jesus. Get it? Good. This idea is also captured in Colossians 3, 16, where Paul writes to Jesus' followers in Colossae, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you teach and admonish, as you warn, as you as you correct, as you direct. It's this idea of speaking the truth in love. And so Paul says, look, if you're part of the church, this is something that you need to be committed to. Committed to doing and to have other people do for you. You speak truth sometimes into people and they speak truth sometimes into you. Now there's a few things in these verses that I think help us to understand this command of speaking truth in love. First, it's based on the fact that you've been filled with God's word. He says, let, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. It, you see, when we have to speak a hard truth to somebody, it's not based out of our own emotion. It's not based out of our own offense. It, it's not based out of our own, you know, legal set of standards that we want to hold people up to. No, it's based upon what God has said. It's based upon God's word. You see, that's the well that we're to draw from when we speak hard truth into somebody's life, the well being filled with the message and words of Christ. And it's to be done mutually, right? You see, this isn't just one person in some kind of sitting in some kind of chair of spiritual superiority telling everybody else that what they're doing is wrong. <laughs> that's not the idea. This is not a pharisaical spirit. Well, I'm going to do this for you, but no one gets to do this for me. It's done mutually, and it's done for one another, based on being filled with the message of Christ. And second, it's to be done with all wisdom, not impulsively, not recklessly, but thoughtfully, intentionally, purposefully. And I think one of the ways to do it in wisdom, I think a wise person is a hard truth to speak to somebody would pray to God, right? <laughs> hey, God, uh, there's a hard truth. I don't know how he or she's going to take it. I, I don't know when, when's going to be. I don't know really what to say. I, I don't know when the right time's going to be. So Holy Spirit, I, I'm tuned in, and I'm going to listen, you know, and, and I'm going to trust your guidance to help me to do this. And I have found that he actually will. <laughs> Go figure, right? Unfortunately, our, our tendency is to speak the truth in anger, speak the truth in irritation, to speak the truth in bitterness, or to speak the truth in self-righteous indignation. The Bible says, no, that's not how you do it. You speak the truth in love and with all wisdom. And so the question I have for you to think about is this. When is the last time that you had someone in your life do this for you? 
And when they said something in the spirit of love that was hard for you to hear. Like maybe they said something like, hey, I've struggled in this in the past with this area of my life and I had someone speak to me about it and I see something in your life that you know that you don't want to hear and it's hard for me to say because I, but because I care about you, because I love you, I, I want to talk about it. And they sat you down and they just lovingly had a hard conversation with you. Question, when is the last time that happened? If it's been a while, why is that? I mean, is it because you got this thing figured out? Like, there's really nothing left for you. Like, you pretty much have this whole life thing figured out, and you don't really need that. Is that why? Or is it because you've not given anybody permission to do that sort of thing? Like, you've never invited anyone to speak into your life that way. And those who know you close know that it's not a very good idea. (laughs) They know that if they would attempt to do this, that it would not be received well. It would be, as the saying goes, there would be hell to pay if you dare to question them. Another question, when was the last time you did this for someone else? I I don't mean, when was the last time that you got into somebody's face (laughs) and you told them what they were doing wrong? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when was the last time in the spirit of love and concern that you spoke a hard truth into somebody's life? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. But Jesus said the truth will set you free. It's worth it. The truth will set you free. But listen, sometimes the truth is going to knock you down to the canvas and pin you down first. That's the way truth works. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Listen, listen to this statement right here. What we risk by not saying something is often much greater than what we risk by saying something. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a prophet named Ezekiel, kind of crazy dude, and, and he loved communicating God's word. He's God's prophet. Basically, God's prophet is someone who heard, from, heard a word from God and gave that word to God's people. And most of the word that God gave was words of warning and words of turning back to him. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 33, 6 and 7, God uses this metaphor to, to help Ezekiel understand the full weight of what he's called him to. He says, if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people He is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. Now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. I understand, God is saying that the watchman is responsible. I mean, if the watchman looks out and he sees the enemy at work, he sees the enemies coming to attack, If he sees what's coming and he doesn't say anything, he doesn't sound the alarm because, you know, maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe they don't want to hear it. Maybe people are sleeping and he doesn't want to wake them up. It's just not a good time. God says that they're the ones he's holding responsible for their captivity. If the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he's responsible for their captivity. There's a lot of captives in our world. They'll die in their sins, but I'll hold the watchmen responsible for their deaths. 
Now, Son of Man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. I understand, Maple Grove, the Bible has called you and I as followers of Jesus to be watchmen for one another. That we have this responsibility. So if we see the enemy at work, if we see him attacking in some area of a brother's life or a sister's life within the church, we have a responsibility to say something. You see, we just can't pretend that everything's okay. We must speak, and we must speak in a spirit of love. Get it? Good. Now, some of you may, maybe you like doing this. There are not a lot of people who like doing this, but there's some people who actually enjoy confronting people. And listen, if you enjoy doing this, it means you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's not the right spirit. That's not the spirit we're to approach each other. Instead, we're, it's to be done with the spirit of love. It's to be done not, not with a joyful heart, but with a, with a heavy heart. And here's the deal. I, I've been in a church now for almost 39 years. And what I've seen during this time is that our tendency is to pretend like everything's okay. And I could give you countless examples of people seeing and knowing a brother or sister is on a wrong and destructive path, and yet they say nothing. They're watching on the wall, and they see the enemy coming, and they do not sound the alarm. I mean, they see people, people they know, people they, people they claim to love, people they claim to care about, living together outside of marriage, and they say nothing. Uh, They see them flirting or being inappropriate with someone of the opposite sex, and they say nothing. Uh, They see them using coarse language, acting in an inappropriate way with someone they're dating, hanging out with the wrong people, and they say nothing. Uh, They see people being disrespectful to others, and they say nothing. Uh, they They see people being dangerously permissive with their kids, and they say nothing. They see people dressing immodestly and they say nothing. They see people having a bitter, negative, angry, and critical spirit. They they see people not taking their walk with God seriously. They don't serve. They don't tithe. They don't share their faith. They don't try to look like Jesus and they say nothing. You know what? We, We will excuse people. We'll rationalize it. Well, you know, they're under a lot of stress right now. Or I don't blame her, she just needs to blow off steam every now and then. We'll excuse other people, but listen, really what we're doing is, hear me, we're excusing, we're making excuses for ourselves so that we don't have to have a difficult conversation and obey God's command by being a watchman. Now, some of you have had people do this for you, and in hindsight, to some, to some degree, you can acknowledge that it really made a difference. You. But listen, it's hard for you to see in hindsight because, because they spoke some truth to you and that truth put you on a, on a different path and you appreciate it now, but you really don't know what path you would have gone down or how far you would have gone down it if that person hadn't spoken to you the truth in love. So maybe it was a friend early on who said, hey, you know, this is hard for me to talk to you about this, but I feel like maybe your drinking is a little bit more of a problem than you think it is. Scares me. I love you. I care about you. And I thought I needed, I thought I needed to talk to you about it. And, 
And maybe at the time you blew it off and you didn't really listen, but some seeds were planted and you realize my friend was right and you make some changes. I mean, what kind of destruction and devastation did that save you from? It's hard to fully know, right? Or maybe you had a friend who cared enough about you when it came to some guy you were dating. He wasn't a Christian. He, he didn't believe what you believe. And, and maybe your friend, she was concerned about where it was going to lead if you kept seeing him. And, and at the time you thought it wasn't any of her business. And your mind, you're thinking, hey, at least I'm dating somebody. And you're trying to defend yourself and and not listen to what they're saying, but you start thinking more about it, and eventually you break it off, and every once in a while, his profile pops up on Facebook or Instagram, and you're so thankful that your friend loved you enough to speak to you. I've had people do this to me, speak the truth to me. Two stick out. Uh, the, The first one was when, after my wife Judy died, my son John, who was 10, was acting out, being a punk, right? Being a spool brat. And I'm like giving the kid a break. Hey, he watched his mom die for two years, right? Yeah, cut him some slack. And I was dating Laurie at the time. She came up and said, you are not doing your son any favors. Yeah, just because he lost his mom is no reason for you to allow him to misbehave and turn into a child that maybe his own family doesn't want to be around. (laughs) Uh, Because she experienced that when she was younger and her dad allowed her to do that. And I took that advice to heart that very day. In 2015, one of the elders that used to be here, he's now in Florida, Todd Cabell, sat down and talked to me. And he talked to me about how so many times, Steve, you know, when you hear feedback, your initial response is to get defensive. You know, and and that was hard for me to hear because I didn't want to hear it, right? Because I, you know, because that, I want to succeed. If I have feedback that's negative, then maybe I'm failing, and failing is not a good thing. But, you know, as I Holy Spirit worked him, I realized, you know what? He's 100% right. I act defensively, and I need to stop doing that. Now, I still have far to go on that, but I'm glad that he loved me enough to say those things. And I imagine you could, you could share your examples. The Bible is full of them too, right? Jethro talking to Moses, Nathan confronting David. Paul confronting Peter, and of course, Jesus was the master of speaking the truth and love, came full of grace and truth. To the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. To the woman at the wall, hey, I know you're shacking up, been married five times, but guess what? I'm the Messiah, and he changed her life. And we see Paul modeling this for us in his letters to the church in Corinth. Paul started the church, is there a year and a half when he left, things kind of spiraled down. A lot of sin that needed to be dealt with, a lot of messy issues that needed to be cleaned up. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians to this church and he confronts these things just one after another and, and there's some helpful verses and I want to frame these verses by, by, with two questions we need to ask ourselves when we're about to have a hard conversation with someone. Number one, is my motive to help or is my motive to hurt? You see, the truth is sometimes by the time we get around to having the conversation, our motive is actually to hurt them. They caused us pain and we're going to cause them pain. And so when Paul writes to this church, he he just makes his affection for the believers there clear. I mean, again and again, he refers to them as my dear brothers and and, and my dear sisters. 
You see, he wants them to know that, that he cares about them, and that because he cares about them, he's going to say some things that, 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 that are kind of tough for them. In 1 Corinthians 4, 14, Paul says, I'm writing this, I'm saying these things, they're not easy for me to say, they're, they're not easy for you to hear, but I'm writing, I'm writing this not to shame you. I'm not doing this because I want to make you feel bad. I'm not doing this to kick you when you're down. I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, because I love you. He's been a watchman. And maybe that needs to be the kind of spirit that we have as well. But unfortunately, the cycle a lot of us follow is that we don't speak to someone until that person has done something significant enough that we are so ticked off about it. So that by the time we speak to them, it's not, oh, I really have a hard time saying this because I don't want to hurt you. It's like, I'm going to say this, and by golly, it better hurt you, right? It better hurt you. It better cause you some pain. And so we double down, and our spirit is harsh, and our words are critical and are and condemning. And so Paul makes it clear that, that his words are, are spoken out of love. So we need to check our motives. Am I saying this to make me feel better? Am I saying this to help me, or am I saying this to help them? 1 Corinthians 5, 11 says, encourage one another, build each other up. The word encourage means like we put courage into somebody. You help them on this journey. Ephesians 4.29, speak only what is helpful for building others up so that they may benefit those who listen. Speak only what is helpful according to their needs, not your need because you're ticked off because they hurt you. And specific to that person, you're saying things that will build them up, not tear them down. See, sometimes we think the best way to change someone is just to beat the snot out of them, right? And you may get some change for a while, temporarily, but ultimately that just brings even more defeat. Now, I'm not saying you're not honest. In fact, you're actually brutally honest, but it's in the spirit of love, and the goal is to build them up. And here's the deal. The way someone approaches us is, in this area, is how we respond, right? We respond in kind. If someone is critical, we'll be critical. If someone is harsh, we're harsh. If, if someone attacks, we will counterattack or become defensive. If someone is vulnerable, we'll be vulnerable. If someone is humble and transparent, we'll be humble and transparent. If someone is soft-spoken, we'll be soft-spoken. Again, we tend to mirror whatever the spirit is of the person who is speaking those words of hard truth to us. Another question they ask is, what does my tone communicate? In Paul's second letter, the church of Corinth, he references his first letter, and he says in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4, I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Paul says, look, my, my spirit in this is anguish. And as I wrote that letter, I wasn't angry, I was crying. You know, I, I wonder... When the church read his letter, if they could see where the ink was smeared because of his tears that fell onto those pages. You see, that's the spirit with which he's writing. It's a heavy heart, not delighting in it. In Colossians 4, 6, he says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. See, we're called to speak the truth, but as we do so, it must be full of grace. That means we're not sitting in a seat of superiority where we've got this thing figured out, but rather there is a, there is a, there's humility, where we understand our own brokenness, and we understand how God has rescued us, and helped us in our journey, and we want to help them as well. 
Not to judge them, not to condemn them, but because we, we care about them. Understand that the tone of truth-telling will either build a bridge or build a wall, right? And, and, and which one do you think is better? I, th- I think we know. And then in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about some of the results that came from him stepping up and being a watchman and for him having this difficult conversation, for him writing these, these, these hard-to-write words. Here's what he says. I, I'm not sorry that I sent this severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first. It was hard for me in the beginning because I know it's painful to you for a little while. I know it's going to be hard for you to hear these things. It was hard for me to say these things. I, I hated to do it, but because I love you, I did it. Now I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurts you, but because the pain calls you to repent and change your ways. In other words, I'm glad to have the conversation because I see the difference that it's made in your life. Amen? Amen. You ever do that? It's so incredible, right? I've had some hard conversations with people. People that I got to know, I got to love, where I earned the right to speak into their life. I think of a couple way back in the day who, you know, great couple and, and, and you know, hanging out. I didn't even know they weren't married. And then I found out they weren't married. They're in my life group. We're eating steaks, watching football games. And I, and I pray, God, when is the right moment that I can speak to him? about? Because I always go to the guy, because he's responsible, right? Guy, step up, be a man. So I, I go to the guy, and, and, and a couple times I'm ready to go at Starbucks, and God, Holy Spirit said, nah. And I go, really? I'm really ready to go. And he says, no. And that day he actually shared about he was physically abused. And I go, well, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm so glad I listened to you. And then he ended a conversation, you know, Steve, something to talk about. You know, you know, we're living together and we know it's wrong. And I said, well, repent, abstain, get married. He goes, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> and they've been happily married for about 10 years. Great couple. And I'm glad. It was hard. Man, I hated to do it. Didn't want to do it. How's he going to respond? But when I see them with their children, <laughs> and I see them happy, you know, and I see them going through hard times, uh, the, the, the guy went through some hard times in hospital for months, like he was going to die, and they hung out, hung through it together. You see, our words have power, even the difficult ones, right? And again, our tendency in Western culture is that we don't want to say anything that offends anybody, unless, right, we're lobbing missiles from a long way, or we're in the middle of some crazy, angry mob shouting stuff, right? It's messed up world we live, country we live in right now. But when it's one-on-one, <laughs> you know, people want everything to be a safe zone. We don't want to run the risk that someone's going to get upset by something we might say. And so we never cross that line. And to do so, my friends, is equivalent to spiritual malpractice. It's like getting injured in an accident and you, you, you go to the hospital and, and they the doctors take some tests and they x-rays and they see that you have some broken bones, but they don't want to upset you. They don't want to stress you out. They want you to feel good about coming to the hospital and spending money. So, so they just decide to be very welcoming. Hey, we're so glad you're here. Glad to see you. Good to see you. Hope you're doing good today. I know things are rough, but they'll get better. They'll get better. And I'll tell you what, let's load you up with morphine, you know. Let's send you home. You have a great day. You know, I think that'll be easier on everybody. 
And sadly, that's what the church often does. Hey, we're so glad you're here. So glad you came, but we don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. And we're not going to show you the x-rays that that show you the things that are broken in your life that Jesus Christ can fix. You know, that's not going to make you feel good about you. So here's some morphine. And we'll see you next week. And we send people out the doors. Maybe, girl, that's not loving. And that's not church as God intended. And so as we continue to strive to become the church that Jesus had in mind, we've got to be committed to doing this, to speaking the truth in love. And listen, it's not just about being committed to the truth when we preach and teach God's word, although that, that, that is certainly necessary, right? And it, it forms a foundation and a framework, but it's got to be more than just me standing up here or someone standing up here preaching God's truth or, or in a Bible study. It's got to be more than that. It's got to include sitting down with each other as brothers and sisters and speaking truth to one another in love. Get it? Good. I said, if we're going to grow to be more like Jesus, then we need each other on this journey. And we need to be speaking the truth in love. So we want to do this for each other. And if you don't have that in your life, you need it. I do too. And so the fifth challenge in this series, right, is to be involved in a deep, God-centered, truth-telling, spirit-of-love-speaking relationship. And pray that God helps you find one. That's what church is supposed to be about. That's why we're rebooting our life groups in January with this primary goal in mind. And reboot, that means it kind of got turned off because they weren't working so good. (laughs) You know, I I wouldn't give overall a a very good grade. Uh, But we're rebooting. You know, because we need this, right? We, we need this in our life. Bottom line, we want to be a place where truth is spoken, even if it's uncomfortable. So we're going to talk about the truth. We're going to talk about the truth when it comes to sin. We're going to talk about the truth when it comes to salvation. We're going to talk about the truth when it comes to heaven, when it comes to hell, when it comes to Jesus, and when it comes to Satan. We'll speak what the Bible says is true. And you might not like all of it. <laughs> And you might be uncomfortable. And you might wish we would just say, hey, we're so glad that you came. (laughs) So glad you're here. But I want you to know that I love you far too much. And I respect and fear my God far too much. To do that. We need to be more for each other. So let's just ask God to help us as a church, as a church family, so together we can grow to be more like Jesus. You know, I, I put in your notes, you know, do you want to be part of a church that speaks the truth in love? And will you help make that happen? If Jesus spoke the truth in love, And we want to be a church that speaks the truth and love so we can grow and mature in our faith. Father, we love you. Thank you for your truth. And thank you for speaking hard truth to us, for telling us that we're not just sick, but that we're dead in our sins and we need a Savior. Thank you 
for the power of words and for the people in her life that had the courage, God, and took the risk to speak truth into our lives. God, I pray for, for us as a body and, and, that, that we will receive truth when spoken in love. And, and God, if there's somebody, God, if we're watching on the wall and we see something somewhere in somebody's life, God, give us the courage, the strength, the wisdom. May your message dwell in us fully that we may speak your truth in love. In Jesus' name, amen.